right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight uh, with Ecclesiastes chapter 8. <clears throat> we got through uh, quite a few of the verses uh, last week. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get quit through a few more of these um, with uh, this wisdom that Solomon is discussing. Let's go ahead and uh, open uh, with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are very thankful to be here. We're very thankful again, Lord, to just uh, have your word uh, preserved for us and inspired. Uh, the Lord have uh, it for it uh, for, for teaching and for instruction, for the guidance, and um, for it being a schoolmaster unto us, showing us what is right and showing us what is wrong. And I pray, Lord, that as we endeavor to seek you this evening in uh, your word and endeavor to know more about you and uh, what a wise man um, looks like in this life, according to your scripture, that, Lord, we would take these things away, that we would use them to grow, that we would use them to please you and to do your will, and that, Lord, above all, we would uh, just praise you for the fact that we even have this opportunity, and we'd be grateful and content and thankful for all the things that you've given to us above all the salvation we have through you. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that this time would be honoring unto you with all that is said and done. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8, uh, we got through the first few verses here. Uh, we kind of left off right around the verse 5 and verse 6. And, um, the, the answer for the rest of these verses, I should say, the, 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 there's a question that is asked at the very beginning that the rest of these verses are answering. In verse one, it says, who is as the wise man and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? And he begins to go into what that person is that is wise and the person that understands the interpretation of scripture. Now, when we talk about the interpretation of scripture and interpretation of what we see, there's a couple of things that we have to understand in regards to it. Two of the most important parts are time and judgment, as he points out in verse 5. And I want to kind of pick up there where we left off a little bit. He says, Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Time and judgment. Uh, there are... There are two things that we absolutely positively need to know when it comes to scriptural principles, scriptural doctrines of righteousness. Knowing the right way to do things, knowing what is not acceptable to the Lord, but knowing above all what is acceptable to Him, but also knowing when to do it. When to do it. You know, there's many things that we look at, and sometimes uh, people will delay that. They will delay uh, uh, what their uh, the obedience. They, they they will wait till certain time, or they'll wait till certain things are, are are done. And and that's not the way that God intends things. When God tells us to do something, there's the expectation of doing it. Uh, there's uh, um, you know obviously time and understanding uh, how time escapes us. Understanding that uh, we are creatures of time and that that time is something that we need to make sure that we redeem according to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. 
We, we, we also need to understand that when we number our days, as he tells us in the book of Psalms, that we are to take account for what we've been given. And that is, a, if you will, a measure of time. We, we, we measure our time uh, with uh, years. We say we're X years old. Uh, we, we, we talk about um, uh, things in years, in weeks, in days, in hours, and in minutes. We, we, we arrange our day according to time. And what a wise man does is understands time, understands the importance of things, understands when things are to happen, understands how to arrange the day and organize according to God's word, according to the prioritizations that he's put forth. And we also find that there's that that judgment, and and that is looking at what is right and what is wrong, looking at and making a determination that this is what matches God's word and this is what does not match God's word. And a wise man will do that in an effort, obviously, to please God. So we find here in verse 5, you know, this summary of that person is obviously, as we find, is somebody that is going to fear God and keep his commandments, uh, understanding that there will be a time that we will be judged according to, and this is all according to Ecclesiastes 12 in the last two verses, that God's going to bring every secret thing into judgment, that all one, all of us one day are going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and be judged. And when we understand that judgment, we understand that we have, we have a responsibility in that judgment. There's obviously two judgments that are talked about in Scripture. There's the one that is at the very end in the book of Revelation where it talks about the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is judging according to whose name is in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, cast into the lake of fire. This is where everybody that is currently in hell, currently, as he says, in the sea, currently everybody that was on the earth at the time, at the very end, pulls all them out, puts them down, and puts them before that judgment. They're judged, as he says, according to their works. But it's not judged as how much good work it is. It's judged at what did you do? If there was sin, then there's sin to that account. The next thing that is judged is, is your name in that book. And if that name is not, if your name is not in that book, then there's no entrance into the eternal life. So God immediately makes sure that we understand that judgment. But as Christians, well, we have nothing to fear with any of that judgment because, again, our sin has been paid for. Our sin has been forgiven, and praise God for that. But according to 1 Corinthians 3, there is the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be judged on what, it, what we did for him, whether it was good, whether it was evil, the intent thereof. It's going to be judged in, in if you will, put into a quantified um, substance of gold, silver, and precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. And then it will be put through a tra- test and trial of fire. So somebody can do something for Jesus Christ, and God gets the glory out of it. But if it wasn't done for the right way, then it's not going to withstand. There's nothing that comes out afterwards. It's burned up. All those things purged. And we see that that's, uh, you know, as he says, every secret thing. There are people that will, will, will stand in front and they will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for money. For fame, for, if you will, status. There are people that will do things uh, for their own flesh. 
They'll do things that, that, that may look godly on the outside to everyone else, but God knows exactly what they're doing on the inside, and they're doing it for their own selfish purpose. And all that is going to be brought to light. All of it is going to be judged. So we understand that we're going to do that, and a wise man understanding that judgment and understanding that time that comes in will do that which is right. If we move down to verse 6 and kind of pick up where, where, where we left off here in verse 6, he says, because every purpose, there is time in judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. You know, one thing that we have to understand is that everything that we do in this life has purpose. Has purpose. <clears throat> when, generally, when a person is uh, at that stage in life where they, quote-unquote, go out to find themselves... And while that seems a little bit foreign to some people, because it's like, what do you mean find yourself? You're standing right there. But it's talking about finding their place in the world. It's talking about finding out who they are, or what they're going to be. Well, when somebody does that from a scriptural perspective, the answer is very easy. Your whole purpose is that you are to stand before uh, God and you are to please him and you're to do his will and you're not to do anything outside of that. According again to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Because everything, as he says here in verse 6, to every purpose there is time and judgment. You purpose to do something, you generally set a time and you are judging whether uh, how you're going to go about doing it and, and what you need to do those things. Jesus Christ said that no man, uh, you know, is going to build something without calculating the cost first. And in order to calculate the cost, you know, what do we have to take a look at? You take a look at time, the labor, and you take a look at the parts and the materials that are needed. Anything that you do, whether it's remodel of a house or uh, work on a car or something of that nature, uh, landscaping, whatever it may be, there's, there, there, there's fees for the materials and then there's fee for the labor because you're paying for that person's time to be there. So everything that we purpose to do, everything, that, every project, every task that we set forth, we have to set that time and we have to set the, you know, obviously the, the judgment about whether it's right or whether it's wrong. And, and we do that with every, every aspect of our life. The greatest thing that I look at with purpose is you go over to the book of Daniel and you find the young man, Daniel and his three fellows, purposing that they're not going to defile themselves with the king's meat. And he is a child at that point. A displaced child that is a captive and he is being held against his will, being forced to do things. He makes a stand and he purposes, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Because I don't want to defile myself from what God has told me to do. This is what I'm going to stick with. And God blessed him greatly for that. And I tell you, we have to do the same thing. In verse 6, as we take a look at that, you know, everything that has that purpose and failing to realize this and failing to realize when we're to do it and failing to realize how we go about doing it is what is going to bring misery into our life. When somebody does not purpose to please God with their life, when somebody does not purpose to do God's will, there will be a misery that happens. It's just, that's, that's the law of sowing and reaping. 
You sow sin, you are going to reap the consequences of sin. You sow what is righteous, you sow, again, a purpose that has the time and the judgment of God upon it, you're going to reap the right things. But here he says, therefore the mystery of man is great upon him. The reason is, is because a person is not a wise man. A person isn't going about doing those things that, that, uh, um, that discerneth time and judgment. They're not purposing. They're failing to do this. Essentially, in these two verses, what we find is Solomon saying, look, you want to really bring a total a disaster to your life? Just exclude God out of it. Don't be a wise man. Act as a fool. Act like there's no, no consequences to action. Act like you've got all the time in the world. Act like it doesn't matter whether you do what's right or what is wrong. Just so long as it feels good. Well, yeah. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. And, and there is a lot of, if you will, thought that's put into that. When we take a look at uh, 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 what Solomon's talking about, he, he realized this because he had a limited time. He knew that he wasn't going to be king forever. He knew what the wise thing to do was. He had already realized that everything has a time and everything has a season. He realized that things that were vain and things that were not vain, with or without God, in the end of his life, you study Solomon, and while he had peace at one point, he began to have small little uprisings. And then those small uprisings led to greater things. So much so that by the time that Rehoboam comes on the scene, there's a lot of tension in the air between the, the in the kingdom. So much so that Rehoboam loses half of it, more than half, I should say. He loses part of that kingdom and it disappears. Because again, he was purposing in his heart to fulfill his desires of what he wanted. His fame, his fortune. In verse 7, it says, For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? So he begins to extend a little bit more, if if you will, knowledge into this. He begins to extend a little bit more wisdom into this saying, saying, because, you know, it kind of seems like he's just saying, well, you know, with time and judgment, uh, and, and, and purpose, you know, there's just going to be misery, but obviously we understand that he's talking about without God. And here's the reason why, because again, people will purpose things, not an understanding time, and the end result is they will procrastinate in doing the right thing. They'll wait. They'll wait. One of the greatest follies that can ever be committed by mankind is this, is to wait to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Don't wait till till you get right with God, because you'll never get right with God outside of Christ. Don't wait till you've gotten rid of all your sin to get back in church. Don't wait till all those things. Why? Because here's what happens. That will never be purposed and never done the right way because that's not the time to do it. 
You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what lies in store. Don't wait to, to get rid of sin out of your life. Which again, he, something that he begins to talk about, about dealing with sin immediately over there in verse 11. But here in this situation, he's saying, who knows what's going to happen? Well, God does. Turn over to the book of James, James chapter 5. Excuse me, James chapter 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4. James chapter 4 teaches us this principle that is uh, uh, repeated throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture. It talks about man's life being as the grass and the flower that fadeth and withereth. And we see that. What we just had a few months ago of nice, healthy, lush green lawns, we're now fighting to keep them from the overriding brown color that shows up. And that uh, obviously is what happens with grass in the summertime. It turns brown. The, you know, the trees and the flowers that were blooming, those will begin to bloom. And then with the heat that we've got coming next week, what happens? They fade away. But here he says very clearly in James chapter 4 and verse 13, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go in such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while, then vanisheth away. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and that, or that. So it comes down to this concept of realizing we don't know what's going to happen. I I heard um, Sam Gipp describe this one time. And he said, let's just take for a moment... The span of time. Now obviously when we think about the span of time and the human existence, we know that our human existence in the 7,000 years that this earth will be around, that it's a short little blip. Even if we lived it would be 100 years old, it's small. But how about we take a look at that in light of, if you will, eternity. If eternity could be measured which you can't. But for the sake of the illustration, he said, let's just assume that over there is eternity beginning and over here is eternity end. He said, this little piece of paper is going to represent your life. And it's not going to be this piece of paper in light of, uh, you know, this width here. He says, no, this edge right here, that's your life. That's all you've got. That's all you're going to get. And some people's life is even thinner than that. And it's something to kind of come to that realization and begin to understand, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we understand that God's will will be God's will. If our life ends tomorrow, are we going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or will we hear, you wasted much. You wasted what I gave you. Even a young person faces those questions. You get saved at a young age in church, and you grow up in church, and you have that good start. And you're in there, and you're doing all those things that you should be doing. 
like Joash over there in Second Kings, after Athaliah had gone through and killed everybody that was in the uh, the royal line for Judah, save Joash because he was spared and lived in the house of the high priest for six years of his life, and then in the seventh year he was uh, ready to be declared king. He had a he had a shorter lifespan, if you will, and reign. But again, he grew up in the right place. You want to learn about God back then? You grew up in a high priest's house? You're going to learn about God. And that high priest, I tell you, obviously had a desire for the things of God. He wasn't a wicked high priest. His son grew up to be a prophet. And here this king, as the Bible says over there, did that which was right as long as that priest was alive. Once that priest died, he went and he did whatever he wanted to do. And sometimes that's the way it is with young people. Once they get freedom, once they're out of the house, they go and do whatever they want to do. They go sell their wild oats and they go out and they go drink and they try everything and, and they try all of those things to see what it's like and have their freedom and do all this and do all that. Well, for what? For what? So that one day they stand in front of God and you say, you wasted so much that I gave you. But here we are as Christians realizing that we don't have a lot of time. The Bible says you get 70 years. Seven zero. Anything beyond that, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. My dad's over 70. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. We begin to realize that the time that we have here on this life is, is, is important because we need to do his commandments. We need to fear God while we're doing it. That's what Solomon is getting at in this entire book. Go back over there to, to that verse again. You know, we're unable to know what tomorrow and future events are in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 8. And what happens is a lot of people, as he's talked about here, we've got these people that make plans. We've got these people that make plans about their legacy. We've got people that make plans about their inheritance. We've got people that make plans about their riches. Nowadays, you've got preppers. There's people that go out there and they prep. And then, you know, they show you their secret bunker, and they've got 75,000 rounds of ammunition, and they've got enough food to last 30 years. And they can last in a hole for so long and so on and so forth. And they've got plans to do what afterwards, you know, when, when the apocalypse finally shows up. Well, I have news for you. A bunker isn't going to save you in the tribulation. It's not. How do you stop a, a mountain and a star from hitting the earth with a bunker? I don't care how deep you dig. It's just not going to happen. Now look, I'm not saying it's wrong to plan. I'm not saying it's not wrong, you know, it's, it's wrong to, to, um, you know, go and prepare things and have things like life insurance and things like that. There are, there are Christians that run around saying, well, you should never get life insurance. You should never have car insurance. You should never have any of those things. Because you don't know what's going to happen. And that's like trying to plan. And I'm like, no, that's, 
Have you seen how much health care costs? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <clears throat> go, you go to the hospital for like a you know, two-day stay, and you're dropping fifty, sixty thousand dollars 60000 You stay there for a week or more, and you're looking at, you know, cost of a small house. And praise God there's insurance that can use that. And again, you do it, you do it wisely. You do it wisely. But again, I, I, I don't sit there and, and, and plan or try to, to divine the will of God in my life as far as what is going to happen tomorrow. I'm more concerned about living right now and whether I'm doing what is right right now. Rather than focusing on tomorrow. As, as, as God said, there's enough evil for today. Why do we have to worry about the evil tomorrow? Well, that's from Jesus Christ himself. We're not able to know that. And, and, and this is why we have to, you know, again, discern time and judgment. Well, when's the time to do right? Right now. Well, what type of right should I do? That which is according to the word of God. We judge those things. We judge ourselves in that regards. Take a look at verse 8 here as he continues on. He says, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Now, I like this verse because it's very interesting, and there's there's a lot to it. Here he is, he's talking about, we don't have the ability to release our spirit and to keep our spirit. We don't have the ability to do that. If we're going to die, we're going to die. Now, I understand that you know there are examples of people that were, were on the, the the edge of dying, and they quote unquote had that will to live, and they had that desire to live, and they 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 overcome the, some of those uh, odds and those obstacles to to continue in life. And I get that. I understand that. But at no point in time can you be like Jesus Christ and have your spirit depart from you and you die immediately and then have it return. Doctor comes in and gives you those fatal words. It's terminal. What are you going to say? Oh, I'm not too worried about that because I'll die when I want to die. It's not how it works. I like how Solomon puts it. It's a war. You know, it's a fight to live. Sometimes it's a fight just to get out of the bed. <laughs> you're laying there in the bed and you're sitting there going, I know I need to get up. And your body's going, yeah, I know you need to get up. Can you send the signal to the body? And the mind's like, hello, are you there? What's happening? It's hit the snooze button. It's asleep. But what we find here is we find that God says, we don't have that power. We don't have that ability. Can we do that? Can we actually go about, you know, releasing our spirit whenever we feel like we want to? Well, the answer is no. We lack the power to do that. So now, obviously, we're seeing that we lack the power to know what's in the future, and we lack the power to retain our spirit so obviously, a person that's trying to do those things is not a wise man. 
You guys remember back in the day when cryogenics was a thing? You know, I really want somebody to kind of give like a report about what is going on with those cryogenic facilities. Who's paying the bill on that? Who's still making money off of that? People were having, uh, you know, they were getting ready to die. They they were like, oh, I want, I want my head preserved so you can cut it off and put it on a new body when, a, you know, when, when technology allows. Ew. It's kind of creepy. Skin tone's not going to match. But all right. I guess you could wear a turtleneck. V-necks are out. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't have the exact color you wanted. <laughs> Look in the mirror and you're like, what's this? They don't have that technology yet. They don't have that technology. Well, I'll just freeze the whole body then. Well, that costs more. Do you ever pull a piece of chicken out of the freezer that's been in there a little too long? <laughs> Sorry, everything's got an expiration date. <laughs> you, you, you ever go in there and you're like, oh, hey, you're digging around, the, you know, you got the munchies and you're digging around in the, the freezer and you pull out and you find this ice cream bar and you're like, oh, hey, when did I have ice cream bars? I don't even remember buying ice cream bars. Yet there's an ice cream bar in there. And you follow the scene, it's fallen back and you pull it out and you look at it and you're like, I don't know, should I, shouldn't I? You pull it out, you give it the quick sniff test. Kind of smells like ice cream. You take that first bite and you're like, that's not ice cream anymore. (laughs) It's got that weird ice burn, that frostbite flavor. Freezer burn. You can't keep that. You can't sit there and say and plan and, and say, well, I'm going to continue my life after my death. Nobody can do that. The only one that has power to do that is Jesus Christ. The only one that has power to keep your life and preserve your life is our Lord. And what we find here is we find that that this, this desire to control our own mortality is an unwise thing. Well, why is that? It says he has no power in the day of death, neither is there no discharge in that war. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a continual battle. You're going to have to, to fight to, 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 to continue on in this life. But there will come a point in time where that war is going to end. And he says, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So here are these individuals that try to control their own mortality, but what he's showing is the, the foolishness of it. And then he shows the foolishness of the wicked. And what happens? You know, they're going to die the same way. The Bible says that it is appointed to every person to die. After this, what? The judgment. So here we are looking at this uh, this, this mentality, and, and, and look, people will try to sin to keep their life. They will steal. They will get whatever they need to get. They will try to, 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 to cheat people. They will try to do whatever it is to, to, to make it in this life. And even, even to a degree to make death even more palatable. But the fact is, as he says here, if you're devoting your life to wickedness, that wickedness will never deliver you from anything 
that's related to it. Now, I'll tell you, this is a great gospel message. Because there are individuals that will sit there and they will live their whole life in wickedness and in destruction. And they'll think, okay, well, if I live a good life at the end of it. It goes back to that ideal uh, and the mentality of the youth. They go out there, they are 18 years old, they go out and they have freedom and they got a car and they got a job and they got some money. And they go out there and they just live live like however they want to live. No regard for God. They stop coming to church. They just, you know, uh, things of God are not important anymore. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't care about anything. You know, they'll make it to church when they can and so on and so forth. And, and, and God becomes secondary because they're living their life. It's their youth. And they do that for a while. And eventually they find somebody that they kind of like. And then that begins to form what they think is love. And then they decide they're going to marry that person. And then they're going to quote unquote settle down. They don't really settle down. What they do is they settle. They settle for life. They settle for a life without God. Because once they get married, they're like, well, I'll get back in church. They never do. Once I have kids, I'll get back in church because they need it. They'll never do. They'll come. They'll come once or twice. And that's about it. They don't purpose. They don't have judgment. They don't realize that that, that, that starting that is, is a bit too late. And then they think, you know, I've lived this horrible life and... They realize that about 40, they realize they've done a lot of wickedness and maybe it's time to turn away from those things and they start trying to live for God. But then there's the question of, did they even trust Christ as their Savior? And if a person has not trusted Christ as their Savior and they can try to do all the good that they want, it still will not deliver them from the wickedness they've done. The only way that that that, that happens is through the power and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that will cover those sins. And they can do everything that they want to do from 35 years old all the way up to 70, saying, well, I gave half my life to doing what is right. Still doesn't give you and forgive what you did in the first half. And wickedness, wickedness is going to bring you right to it. Wickedness is going to bring you right to death. It's going to bring you right to death's door. And people are sitting there trying to deny it, and they're trying to avoid it, and they're trying to, 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 to exclude themselves from it. Well, they can't. You can't. You can't leave this war. You can't leave this war. It's interesting, over in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, it was talking about there were some certain excuses that you could and could not leave for war. Just turn there really quick. This is kind of a side note. Turn over to Deuteronomy 20. Here they are going about forming a, forming a, you know, military, forming a people, about getting ready to go to war and fight against enemies. 
And uh, in verse uh, 5 of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, it says, And the officers shall speak unto the people. And these are the officers that are put in charge of the army, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go to and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man dedicate it. It's like, if you haven't finished that house, go finish it. Go take care of it. That was They were granted leave. What man is he that planteth a vineyard and hath not eaten of it? Let him also go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man eat of it. You haven't received that first fruit of the, the, the harvest of that? God says it's more important for you to enjoy it than to fight. Well, that's an interesting thing. Man, that does not sound like the military. Did you just see some young Marine Corps crew walking up there? Gets in front of the drill sergeant. Drill sergeant, I need to go home. Well, the drill sergeant hears that first and foremost. and that, it, it, That's like the trigger word for a drill sergeant. And he'll turn and he'll look, why? And he'll ask the questions and the, the, and, and the recruit says, well, you know, I planted this tree in my backyard and this is the first year that it's bringing forth, uh, you know, its fruit. And uh, I want to go and uh, eat the pears that come off that tree. What do you think that drill instructor is going to do? <laughs> At that point in time, I don't even want to think about what the drill instructor is going to do. He's just going to go off. He's, just, he's not going to put up with it. God's more gracious than a drill instructor. Thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> Look at also what he says here in verse 7. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife and hath not taken her? Let her uh, let him go home to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man take her. There, there was even a certain amount of time that if you were married, you were married for your, you know, you hadn't been married for a year, just married. You had a year free of, you, you, that you couldn't be called up to conscription service. Take a look at what he says here in the, in the next verse. <clears throat> and he says, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. I, I read that for the first time when I was young. And I was thinking about joining the Marine Corps at that time. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, wait a second. Are you telling me that if I'm afraid and, and I'm going to be one of those guys that as soon as the first round goes off, I pass out? According to the Lord, I don't have to go. <laughs> In basic training, they don't care. <laughs> it's like, nope. They don't care. They start firing things at you. They start putting you through those basic training uh, uh, exercises and going through all that and running through mud and all sorts of stuff and, and, and all these things. And you're like, you come up to the drill instructor and say, drill instructor, I'm faint-hearted. I want to go home. I don't even know what they would do. They'd probably just like, Give me a minute. <laughs> Go talk with the other drill instructors, and they're just like, this guy doesn't get it. This is combat. 
And here he says, uh, 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 you know, the, the, these are reasons, if you will, exemptions. But you realize there's no exemption in this life, this battle, this continual moving forward, trying to get things done for the Lord. There's no exemption in this battle for life to continue and to fight death. We do everything that we can to prevent it. We try to eat healthy. When we can eat healthy, we pray that God blesses it so it will be healthy. We, we desperately try to somewhat do what is right. You know, at least when we speed, we're not doing 120 miles an hour, we're only doing 100, so we're good. And whatever it may be, there's this, this unescapable death that is going to come. Wicked wilderness will never deliver it, us from it. Wickedness is going to bring us right to it. And a lot quicker. We see here in verse 9 here, going back over to, to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. In verse 9 he says, All this I have seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. Here he begins to kind of change a little bit, talking about this this person that's wise, but to a degree he's also talking about the same thing. So he begins looking at everything that he, he's doing. He begins to look at everything that everyone else is doing. He starts looking at all the stuff that is done under the sun, and, and he talks about, okay, well, well how is this going to work? And he realizes that there is an authority system in place. There is somebody that is going to rule over another person. There's somebody that is always going to be over another person. And then somehow, some way, as he's looking at this, even reflecting on his own life, he realizes that many people abuse that authority that they have. What was the very first commandment that God gave mankind? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, right? But what about the dominion of over the earth? He said, I want you, man and woman, to have dominion over the earth. Go over there to the book of Genesis. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, And God said, Let us make man in uh, in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, uh, uh, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image; the image of God created him. Male and female created He them. Let me read that again, verse twenty-seven. God created man in His own image, and the image of God created him. He, him, uh, he, him. Male and female created He them. Let's move on. <laughs> and God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. He says, Not only do I want you to populate the earth, I want you to subdue it. I want you to exercise dominion. 
And Solomon over here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 9 realizes that some of that still applies today. Now obviously we forfeited this. Adam turned over this earth to the devil. And trying to exercise dominion over it right now in its sinful form is difficult. It does not want to cooperate. There's thorns, there's thistles. Animals want to eat you. There's disease and pestilence. There's sin, wickedness, murder, death. Wicked imaginations. And here he is looking at this and he realizes that there's going to be a time wherein one man is going to rule over another. And while we're not talking about ruling over animals or ruling over land, we're talking about ruling over each other. And it's interesting to note that that's going to happen even in the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, there will be Jesus Christ, the supreme ruler. He is the rightful heir to the throne, to the throne of this earth. Not only to the throne of Israel and the kingdom of Israel, which will be the predominant nation over all nations at that time, but over all the earth. Curses lifted off the earth. Sin still will exist, though. But it will be dealt with very efficiently. More efficiently than any time in history. God will deal with it and deal with it quickly. Things won't get out of hand. Things won't go get out of control. And we'll see that here in just a minute. But one thing that is very clear is that people that are saints, some of us will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. You go over and you see similar patterns over there in the book of Judges. Where there were judges that were set up, and the purpose behind it is they were always to point the, 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 the people, children of Israel, to God. The same thing is going to be true for those judges that are over various different cities and various different lands. Those, those individuals that are saints, those individuals that will not be corrupted, they will come alongside and they will tell that mayor, they will tell that governor, hey, you can't do that. But I'm the governor. But Jesus Christ is king. And Jesus says, you can't do that. But I got my rights. No, you don't. (laughs) You don't have that. You can't do that. By the way, when's the last time you went to go visit him? You got to visit him every year. If you haven't visited him every year, it's not going to rain here in the state of Washington. Could you imagine telling that to Governor Isensley? Now, he claims to be a Christian. If he claims to be a Christian and he's a saved, born-again child of God, he's got a lot to answer for. But I'll let God deal with that. But there's going to be a time where people are going to rule that way. Right now, we have an individual, we, we, we have this ruling where we look at our politicians, and I dare say that they fit that verse. There's a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. You know what this is talking about? This is talking about the law of reaping and sowing. 
person goes out and they're trying to hurt somebody else, it's going to backfire. They're going to rule over a person in a wicked way and it's going to come back and get them. Go over and read the history of the kings of Israel, the kingdom of Israel specifically. There was only like one one lineage that lasted, I don't know, I think if I remember correctly, it lasted five or six generations maybe. And after that, it ended. What usually happened? King rose up, and then the king was deposed. He was assassinated. A coup took place. Next king comes in, and exactly the same thing happens to that king. Coup comes in, takes place, so on and so forth. That's how Ahab got the throne. His father was was one of those assassinators, if you will. Goes about, and he comes in and has a coup, takes over. And the end of that generation, the end of, of, of Ahab's line and lineage ends with the same tragedy. Some of that even occurred in the kingdom of Judah. But it was dealt with a lot differently. When they deposed an evil king, those that deposed the evil king and killed him, they too were killed. They were caught by the people and they were brought to justice and they said, you can't do that. David even understood that when he stretched his hand out against Saul. And he realized he can't do that. That's God's job. But here we find that he's saying that this is what happens. He begins looking at how r- wicked rulers come into place and people l- ruling in a wicked way. And what he, he talks about is what's going to happen here and talking about these future events, talking about trying to prevent death and trying to do all of these things. And he says in verse 10, and he says, And I also saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city, wherein they had done so done. This also is vanity. And here he is, if you will, being a little bit of a prophet, understanding what happens. Last Sunday we are talking about Ahaz. Ahaz didn't get to be buried in the sepulcher of the king's. He was buried somewhere else. Why? Because he was that wicked. He, he, he lost out on that. He didn't get that honor. The people remembered it. And here he's saying, he's saying this is what happens. He says, I see the wicked, but I want you to understand. He says they come and they go. They come and they go. You know, there's one thing that I look at in the United States of America is we've got term limits for the president. Now, I strongly believe in term limits for the Senate, but again, the chance of that getting passed is, I don't know. Same with the House of Representatives. There there needs to be a cutoff. There's people who are growing rich off of the backs of everyone else. But... You see, and you know, that after eight years, they're out. Well, again, I understand their influence and what they do, and they can, you know, try to do things by proxy and so on and so forth. I get that. I'm not naive in that regards, but I understand that they come and they go. Jimmy Carter still isn't having any effect on the presidency. At all. If he did, we'd all be hunting for UFOs right now. He has, no, he has no effect on it. They come and they go. 
Ronald Reagan has no effect on it. He's passed away. These people, they come and they go. And you know what happens? They're forgotten. They're forgotten. You know, there's been worse presidents than what we've had in our lifetime. You're like, how is that even possible? We just forgot what they did. There have been worse rulers in in, in the world than there are now. There have been worse rulers than Putin. A lot worse. The world is forgotten. And they're soon cut off and they're eliminated. They're gone. They're just vain memories and forgotten folks. And these people are ruling. These people are doing these things. And they don't realize the end. They don't realize the judgment of how they're supposed to do things. They don't realize the time that they have to do it. To glorify God, there's no purpose in it. There's no discernment in it. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. And I dare say that this is probably a sting unto him own, his own self because he realized that with the allowance of all of those wives and concubines that he had and all their false gods that were brought in, he had made an indelible effect on the nation of Israel. If it was okay for the wisest man to do that, what do you think the rest of the people are going to do? And you know what God said? God came to him and said, you're going to have to pay. There's consequences, Solomon. And he had ruled his people to his own hurt. You remember when Solomon was asked of God, what do you want? And Solomon said, I don't know how to rule these people. I I don't know how to do this job, God. And God granted him wisdom. But in the end, he still didn't know how to rule them. You can have so much scripture in you, you can have all of those things down, but if you don't understand time and judgment, You don't understand purpose and discernment. You will eventually be forgotten. You'll rule to your own hurt, which is exactly what he did. But here we are in Proverbs chapter 11, one that Solomon himself wrote. In verse 21, what does he say here? He says, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. The wicked shall not be unpunished. The wicked shall not be unpunished. There are individuals that are going to have some things go through, uh, that they're going to go through in their life. They're going to have some tough stuff that they're going to have to deal with. 
And how they choose to respond to that, whether with wickedness or righteousness, is going to be an most important thing. But at some point in time, when a person continues in that wickedness and they continue to go down that direction, here he says, it doesn't matter how many alliances they have, it doesn't matter what they're trying to do and what works they're trying to do, trying to, if you will, garner better favor, it doesn't matter, they will be punished. They will be punished. That's why I'm not so keen on necessarily bringing people to justice in right now. Why? Because I know they're going to stand in front of God. They will not go unpunished. We have to understand that concept. But it's the righteous that shall be delivered. It's the righteous the ones that get to enter into eternal life. It's the righteous that get to see that new heaven and the new earth. You realize that? It's the righteous that get to see that. We're talking about Jesus Christ's righteousness. Those that are found, uh, whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life. Those people that saw the, the former heaven and the earth, this earth, pass away with a great noise and a fervent heat and the elements melting. All those things, they don't get to see the new one. The only thing that they get to see is when they wake up in lake of fire. I shouldn't say get to wake up because they're already going to be cast in readily knowing what it is. They don't get to see that. They don't get to see that. There is a punishment. There is a punishment. And this is why he says in verse 11, as part of the wise, as part of a person that has wisdom, and I want to end with this in verse 11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I dare say that that verse should be printed on every single criminal court in the face of this earth. If that person is found guilty... Then as it says here, because sentence against the evil work is not executed speedily, what does it do? It brings about more of the same mentality of sin. You ever wonder why people will say, well, the only way to really prevent and reduce crime is not to take away the implements that they're using. It's not even necessarily to give more mental health. It's not necessarily to make everything legal for use, an allowance. That's not going to reduce crime. And people are saying, well, well, take a look at crime. Crime crime kind of went down. Look at how how much drug crimes went down. That's because they changed the laws here in Washington. Simple possession. They don't prosecute anymore. Some of those other things went down. But what else did you see that increased? Violent crime. Violent crime increased. Why? Because violent crime isn't being punished. You punish violent crime, violent crime will go down. Well, no, we're not talking about hurting that person. We just want it to stop. Well, you know how you get it to stop? Punish them. But, you know, punishment doesn't... What does that verse say? 
Why do you think they don't want to do it? Because God said it. Because God said it. So I'll tell you this. Person takes a look at this in their own personal life and says, I continue to go in through these sins. I can go into these sinful patterns. I go into these sinful behaviors. How do I stop it? Punish your sin. Punish. Like, well, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't want to, well, it's the only way it'll be taken care of. This is one of the most important biblical principles that is, has, has been part of human law since it was written. It's still prevalent today in criminal court. Exercise that sentence speedily. Speedily. Next week we'll take a look a little bit more as, uh, as we talk about these these individuals that sin and individuals that continue to go into sin. And it's the wise person that looks at this sin and says, okay, this is why I want to avoid it. This is why I need to exercise this judgment. This is why I know that, that, that I'm going to be judged. So I need to you know, exercise everything that, that I can to prevent myself from doing it and to rule the right way wherever I am going to be ruling, but also to understand what my what God's expectation of my life is of the time I have and how I'm supposed to judge these things. Because again, regardless of this life here, regardless of this life here, the only ones that, that we see according to the next verse that it's well with are those that fear God. We'll find out more about that next week, Lord willing. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. I thank you again, Lord, for what you continue to teach us from your word. And Lord, uh, there's some great principles here and there's some great deep doctrines that we can find in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. But also on the surface, it becomes very apparent. That Lord, a life lived without you is a life that is not pleasing unto you and is a life, Lord, that will not be lived well. And Lord, we don't want to live in vanity. We don't want to live to our own hurt. But Lord, we want to live to please you, to honor you that our days may be long upon this earth that you've given. And I pray, Lord, that we'd have that desire, we'd apply what we've learned tonight, that, Lord, we continue to investigate these things and continue to look into these uh, passages, that, Lord, we'd grow more and more in a desire to please you, to do your will every single day. Thank you again for this time, and I pray, Lord, that you just take us home safely tonight and bring us back safely on Wednesday. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.